1: And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Foote. And as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, COVID, uh, crisis management, supply chains, resilience, anything that's associated with those topics. Speaking of topics, if you'd like to be a guest on the show or you'd like us to talk about something, please feel free. You can reach me through LinkedIn. Uh, that seems to be the easiest way to find me. I am the only Alex Fulick on LinkedIn, so I'm really easy to find. Just send me a message, and I reply to everything I get, and we'll see about getting you on the show or finding someone to come on the show and talk about your topic. Longtime listeners and viewers, you'll know that I talked about the BCI Virtual World Conference in November 2020 and that I was a speaker, and if I was lucky, I'd be able to get a few uh presenters to come on the show and talk about their topic and, you know, maybe talk a little bit more about other things. Today is one of those days. And the topic from the BCI conference is managing the unknowns, a practical, sorry, a practical guide to building supply chain resiliency. And I'd like to welcome the session presenter, Paul Raw. Paul, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Alex. Thank you very much. I have me delighted to join you.
1: And just so everybody knows, um, the the video is not being shown on Paul's side, so um, you'll have to look at this mug uh, through the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> just for the you know, for viewers, Voice America, it won't ma- matter for the radio, but <laughs> just so you're aware, <laughs> Paul, we've got listeners and viewers around the globe. Can you take a minute or two and talk about yourself, what you do, and how you got into this?
2: Yeah, sure. I, I suppose my my sort of early initiation and entry into into the the area of business continuity was as a military leader in the in the, in the British Army um, so sort of contingency planning strategic planning is something that we practice and execute a lot in the military and so it sets up the foundation for that sort of mindset and thinking in different environments and reacting and, and coming up with strategic plans as the environment and dynamics around us change so I, I suppose that was the real foundation and the starting point but when I left the British military, I was offered a job as a security consultant in, in the Middle East. And so I traveled down to the Middle East and I was exposed to, to that environment and a consultancy basis, but with a predominant focus on security-related planning, uh, risk identification and risk mitigation. But as you'll imagine, with the security environment, it's very um, competitive and densely populated by ex-military personnel and police service personnel. And so I sort of soon identified the need to firstly differentiate, but also to continue my learning. And so I engaged on a master's degree in disaster and emergency management, and that really exposed me to the wider field of resiliency planning, business continuity, crisis management in a, in a sort of commercial environment. And so building on, on my existing security risk management knowledge and experience, that was the new direction that I took in, in my career. Um, I was fortunate enough to travel around the world and be engaged in numerous different projects across um, different sectors and in different areas of of the world. And then uh, returned back to the UK, um, where I joined the British Standards Institution in my current role. I'm, I'm now a senior consultant for supply chain security. And within that scope, I look at. Not only supply chain security but the wider field of risk management and building on that sort of knowledge and experience of business continuity and resiliency building
1: so would it be fair to say like uh, many of us you kind of fell into this
2: not yeah it was, it was, went into it. It, it, it was definitely a process <clears throat> of evolution um, and it's interesting if you look at sort of crisis management um, planning it's sort of it the start of the entire sort of um, field as a profession sort of evolved out of the end of the Vietnamese uh, or Vietnam War in the US and the return of uh, veterans coming looking for for jobs and opportunities in the US market and identifying that really unique um, characteristic of being able to plan um, in and amongst changing dynamics and, and situations. And so I, I suppose I really followed that trend on my own sort of path of, of evolution and development, I suppose.
1: That's interesting. I'd not heard that uh, piece about the Vietnam War and and soldiers going back with relation to, you know, supply chain and, you know, the, the planning and peace. I'd not heard that. That's rather interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, they, they came back with an abundance of, of sort of skills and abilities that wasn't necessarily either identified or utilized in the commercial environment, and 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 it soon sort of caught on because of the value they brought to, to the environment that they're entering.
1: Interesting. I never knew that. Learn something new every day.
2: <laughs> so,
1: your topic was supply chain management. There are different ideas about supply chain uh, and uh, the management of it, and different pieces of it. Uh, and different people have had um, that have been on the show to talk about it before have had their own interpretations. How do you define supply chain management? What is that to you?
2: Yeah, um, well, the current environment with COVID nineteen around the world. If if people haven't sort of heard of business continuity and crisis management planning before, then they certainly have now. One of the the areas which is really Um, interconnected and has been affected by the current pandemic, is that of supply chain management. And so if we talk of supply chain management, it's really, in its very simplistic terms, it's the movement uh, of the flow of goods and services. Um, And so if you you think about it in a holistic view, um, it's the management process from essentially conception to consumption and then even beyond. Um, in relation to goods and services, and so, you know, if if I break that down, if you think about the conception, whilst we're developing strategic plans in a global environment such as the one that we that we operate in in a modern world, um, it's in co- interconnected by its very nature, um, and so the idea of supply chain management really reaches into the conceptual design for strategic planning and building. Um, And so as a supply chain manager or as a consultant in that field, we can really add value to to organizations looking to develop strategies um, on a a global perspective. But then if you think about the flow of goods all the way through the manufacturing process, the sourcing of raw materials, to uh, the eventual end user, um, and I, I suppose the best way to break it down is to give an example. And so, you know, if I use the example of, of uh, a modern smartphone, for example, which, which most people have nowadays, if we think the, about the leading manufacturers of modern smartphones, the majority of the manufacturing takes place in the Far East, um, predominantly in China, um, but it's not actually manufactured in China, they're just putting component parts together into a finished package the actual components come from all over the world. And so if we think about, continue that thought of of a mobile phone, components come from Germany, China, Japan, Switzerland, USA, and over 40 different countries around the world. And so the supply chain management aspect is how how do we manage that? How do we source them? How do we manage all of those players within that process? But not only the component parts, it also reaches into you know the raw materials and and how does that impact our business model and so again with a with a a modern um, mobile phone um, you know they contain elements such as i don't know tin tungsten gold cobalt um and these are known as conflict um, minerals um, and so there's a, an entire element of management within your supply chain if you're a big Mobile phone manufacturer. Um, consumers are very aware, and they're aware of issues such as conflict minerals, um, you know, environmental impact, social impact, and so the the responsibility is on the manufacturer to make sure they're, they're sourcing materials ethically. You, you know, I'll take the example even further: rare, min- uh, rare metals, for example, over eighty percent of rare metals come from China. Uh, fifteen percent Australia, Russia two percent, and then the, you know the re- remaining three or so percent comes from the rest of the world. And it's also about managing that process. Byproduct of um, sort of manufacturing rare earth earth metals is is the sort of creation of radioactive waste. And so, how do we manage that process in relation to environmental impact or the social impact of, of the process and the footprint that we leave behind? when we're building and selling that mobile phone. So just to take it one step further, I did say beyond the supply chain. So I'll give you an example um, of pharmaceutical industry, for example, global worth of about $1.3 trillion, black market worth of um, approaching a trillion dollars, certainly in the high hundreds of billions of dollars. And so there's a real sort of responsibility for pharmaceutical companies to manage their product through the supply chain and manage the risk of exposure to to things like black market. So we we help sort of pharmaceutical companies um, manage their their risk profile for counterfeit goods. Uh, We help them dispose of spoiled products so that that spoiled product doesn't enter the black market. Um, and, And so it's about taking a holistic approach to supply chain management really identifying the start point and the end point for the products, the materials, and the impact of that process. Um, So that's a a a (laughs) rather long-winded answer for you.
1: (laughs) So I've got a question for you then. Using your your example of the phone and all the different pieces that come come together, I'm manufacturing the phone. I pull all those pieces together. So I'm responsible or, or should be, you know, to... Make sure i 'm getting all the supplies I need from the people that, that that are required. does supply chain management end with me, or is it also does it also continue when I take that phone and now move it downstream to vendors and clients and people that i 'm shipping to
2: yeah i mean it's it's widely accepted that we inherit the risk of our service providers, and so the responsibility is on you throughout the entire process, whether you're subcontracting services, whether you've um, got subcontractors who in turn have subcontracted, it doesn't matter whether it's you know, five, level, five levels down the supply chain if your organization is supporting, uh, let's say, for example, um, exploitation of the human workforce in, in third world countries. Then ultimately, it's your responsibility. And so, you know, we we also have a capability and, and do a lot of work in the um, sort of corporate social responsibility environment as well, looking at supply chains and how, um, you know, developed world organisations have an impact in third world countries, and also, you know, third world um, organisations within their own countries, and looking that at looking at that ethical an environmental impact of it. So, yeah, the responsibility is, is, is on you as a manufacturer of a mobile phone to make sure that you are essentially enhancing the environment and the well-being of those involved in your supply chain rather than taking from it and having a negative impact.
1: Okay, because I've talked to a lot of people, and sometimes it seems as though um, supply chain management ends when it comes to my door. But it doesn't. I'm I'm just another piece in that whole chain, and I have to look at b- what comes in and what's going out to yeah, make sure um, uh, that uh, you know I'm not selling to the wrong people.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you know? abs- absolutely. And you know, if we if we think about uh, the the use of sort of e-commerce, for example, um, and the ability of anyone to become a retailer or a distributor then again, you know, we have to manage that process. If you, if you um, sort of carry on along the, the lines of the mobile phone, there are massive efforts with mobile phone manufacturers to make sure that they are using recycled materials in their products. Well, the best source of recycled material is from their own devices and their own phones. And so the process of recycling within their own cycle. is is a massive element of their business plan and business strategy. And, you know, let's not forget the the power of the consumer. What's ultimately driving this, as as well as what we would hope would be the the sort of the moral compass of of global corporations. But the key driver is the consumer Mm
0: -hmm. and the
2: massive awareness amongst consumers now for social economic responsibility and for environmental impact you know, ethical sourcing and, and so on and so forth. And that includes, you know, the end of use cycle for their, for their goods and product.
1: And that, you know, thanks to social media, a lot more people are aware on, on that level because even, let's say, 20 years ago, you heard about some of this, but you only heard about it if it was something major and hit the headlines. Otherwise, I don't think a lot of people paid a lot of attention to it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we do a lot of work for for clients as well in the recycling process um, because, you know, the black market, no matter what what commodity we're talking about, is, uh, you know, is is derived and fed and, you know, enabled through crime And, and crime is just one of the risk exposures. That we have to manage and mitigate in in our supply chains, and so you know we we work with with mobile phone manufacturers in their recycling process uh, to make sure that those end of life cycle product for the first user um, doesn't become a source of of crime or criminal activity or mm. opportunity, and so yeah, you're absolutely right. It is way beyond the first user, all the way around to hopefully what we could we could develop into, into a holistic, um, circular economic process.
1: And on that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Paul Raw today on his BCI Virtual World Conference topic, Managing the Unknowns, a Practical Guide to Building Supply Chain Resiliency. sorry. And we'll be right back.
0: Are you ready to hear from investors and get insight on different asset classes? Join host Troy Eckert for the program, Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Troy works with high net worth investors and is ready to bring you the secrets he's learned in his 35 years of alternative investment experience, along with his guest experts. If you want value, you'll need to listen in live every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern time and 2 p.m. Pacific time,
2: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to preparing for the unexpected.
1: Welcome back to the show. Today, we are talking with Paul Raw about supply chain management. All lots of good information in our first segment. Now, I want to ask you what resiliency means to you. And what is resiliency? Resiliency in supply chain management? And I think you kind of touched on a, a little bit of that.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a massive question, Alex. And, and to be honest, for, for all of my experience um, engaging with business leaders, if we if we put five or ten business leaders in a room and ask them to define resiliency, I'm pretty certain every single one of them would come up with a different sort of definition of, of resiliency. I think, yeah. it, to be honest, if you put resiliency into a Google search you I think you come up with about 13 million different definitions. So that in itself sort of demonstrates that it's a real um, fluid concept. And to be honest, it's really, really relevant to the organization itself. So accepting that and accepting that while we talk about a concept, it's, it's very um, useful and valuable to have a handrail. What I'll do is I'll give you the definition for, for bs um, 65,000, which is the the, the guidance for organisation res- resilience and, and accepted international standards. So, organisation resilience is the ability of an organisation to anticipate, prepare for, respond and adapt to incremental change and sudden disruptions in order to survive and prosper. So, if we take that as a very uh, um, uh, sort of rigid handrail for the discussion. What I think we need to do is extract the really important elements of it. And it's the element of being able to anticipate, prepare for, and respond. So there's a timeline element to your management process. It's also about the impacts of of negative, not always negative, but, but largely negative events and the ability of the organization to Withstand and come out of that in a positive manner, um, and so as I said at the beginning it 's really relevant to the organization itself, and it has to be tied to the the sort of corporate and strategic goals of the organization as well as the management structure and the values of, of that organization but I would sort of encapsulate that in in a ability to to manage the impact of events proactively during an event and after an event and for your organization to come out of that process in the most positive manner. When we talk about resiliency and and crisis management, disaster management and and, um, sort of all of those different areas, we quite often focus on the negative impacts of it. But there are also opportunities as well. And so when we're defining resilience, it's also important to at least um, understand and possibly reflect the opportunity aspect of that, of that process as well. And I think it's, it, it would be quite relevant. Can you, can you for, give an
1: example of what a positive aspect would be?
2: Um, yeah. So if we think about um, COVID-19 now, uh, the changing dynamics of supply chain, um the changing route to market, the changing dynamics of consumers um, for some organization they will uh, prosper in the new dynamics of for example e commerce if I take the u k at the moment the the retail high street is is suffering terribly, and every week there are closures of, of different um stores and retailers who haven 't been able to weather the storm of you know, call it COVID, but actually the impact on the consumers and the, and the ability or lack of ability for them to go out uh, and shop in the high street. So those organizations who have changed their dynamic and adapted to an e-commerce model quickly have found new opportunities that they hadn't realized before. Now, they were forced into that strategic change because of the conditions that they found themselves, but there's an opportunity there for them to flourish. You know, and supply chain management can be a really powerful distinguisher and competitive advantage for an organization if it's managed effectively. And so, you know, that that would be a very um, a very relevant and, and obvious example of how that changing dynamic can be an opportunity. Um, unfortunately, for the majority, it's, it's it's difficult to see the opportunity while you're fighting fires in the meantime. But um, I can't remember who came up with the quote, but, you know, life is what happens while we're busy making other plans. And, you mm-hmm, know, it's yeah. certainly certainly relevant to, to business. And those people who are dynamic in their thought process are agile in their organizational structure and have the flexibility and the opportunity to change, um, there are greater opportunities out there for it.
1: So would I be correct in saying that, supply, that the entire supply chain management it's not just about what box is coming in my door.
2: No, absolutely not. Far, far from it. It's the end-to-end process. And, th- and that's one of the key um, sort of aspects that we talk about with business leaders and, and that is sometimes overlooked by organizations. Mm-hmm. It's not just the simplistic movement of goods from point A to point B through you know, a, a, a distributor or a wholesaler or a manufacturing facility. It's the holistic approach to supply chain management from, you know, as I said, from the conceptual design of what your strategic plan is going to be for any particular commodity service or product that you're going to produce and, and, and distribute all the way through that manufacturing process, all the way through to the consumer and, and, and then beyond that. And so it involves all of the contractors, all of the subcontractors, all of the different environments, all of the different legislation, Um, And all different aspects. And so it's really, really important for business leaders to really appreciate the full holistic dynamic of of supply chain management. It's not just a straight line from point A through point B to point C.
1: So how do you, using your example, the the entire uh, end-to-end process and all the contractors, subcontractors, vendors, partners, etc., etc., what happens... When you take one of those key ones out because they've had a a massive fire, a flood, a terrorist activity, you know, and it impacts you, what part of supply chain management kicks in? Do you already have another partner waiting in the wings? You know, uh, because, you know, I'm assuming uh, with a lot of these people that you're working with, you know, in supply chain management, you've got contracts and service level agreements or um, memorandums of understanding or whatever else you've got. How do you manage things when one gets pulled out for whatever reason?
2: Yeah, and that's exactly the business continuity aspect of, of the supply chain management process. So you know, one of the key drivers for the supply chain management process is risk management. And so risk management, including risk analysis, identification, prioritization of internal activities, prioritization of, of risk, threats, and, and vulnerabilities and your exposure, to them, but also doing the impact analysis side of things. And so as an organization goes through that process and they identify their key dependencies and vulnerabilities within the supply chain, then it's really important to mitigate those risks in a proactive manner. So yes, yeah, we talk about um, sort of redundancy plans or alternate plans. And you know, when we look at the various different risk and threat profiles, It's reasonably straightforward to identify the different dynamics and to come up with a strategic plan. So if you have, for example, let's take Hurricane Katrina in the U.S. 2005. If your supply chain came through that region of the U.S., the impact on your business was massive. Mm -hmm. But if you had an alternate supply supply route, which came in and you know maybe came from the other side of the planet and landed in the U.S. in I don't know maybe the northeast coast and completely bypassed Hurricane Katrina and the impacts and the and and the lasting impact of that. But how do you
1: find that out? Do you work with your key vendor to to uh, to identify with them uh, who else you could deal with or if they have alternate alternative uh, delivery routes?
2: Yeah, and. <laughs> Yeah. Vendor management is, is a massive part of it. And again, we talked to lots of business leaders and to be honest, they don't always fully understand this supply chain. I'll give you an example. Um, a, a fashion design retailer in the UK, it's a global brand um, and we did a lot of work with them on their supply chain, their risk management um, and they had some elements of their good that were produced in Turkey. Um, and they were delivered to their distribution warehouse in the United Kingdom and um, the US and the Far East. Now, when we asked them, what is the supply chain for for those goods coming from that particular supplier? They didn't really know. They didn't have transparency throughout the process. All they had done is contracted with the service provider to say, you can pick it up at point A and deliver it to point B. Mm. What they didn't know was that that contracted service provider was subcontracting it a number of fold throughout the supply chain. So it drove from Turkey to a port. The container was left at the port. It was picked up by another service provider, an unknown party to, uh, to, to the fashion design company. Uh, it was then moved, put onto a ferry. It was unaccompanied on the ferry. It went across to um, Italy, It was picked up by another unknown service provider, put onto a rail network, transported across Europe, unaccompanied, unchecked, into Germany, where it was picked up by a road haulier, driven from Germany to the UK, and delivered to the distribution warehouse in the UK. Hmm. Now, that company did not have any idea that their cargo, which had suffered... um, a number of losses throughout the supply chain was unaccompanied for the majority of its transit from the source Mm
1: -hmm. to the
2: point of delivery. And so when we talk about identifying risks and managing the process, quite often it comes down to how do you manage your service providers and what is the transparency that you have across those service providers? Do you have legal contracts in place that says they must declare subcontracted, Elements of their service provision, give transparency to who they subcontract to. Do you then do you carry out your due diligence, site checks, risk analysis on those subcontracted services? So you've got a really comprehensive risk profile throughout your supply chain. Quite often, organizations don't do that. They'll have a contracted agreement with a service provider um, and they might not look any further than that. If they do look further than that, it might go to the second sort of level of the supply chain, but not very often does it go beyond that point to get a really, really uh, complex and holistic uh, risk profile for the supply chain.
1: And then I assume you, you do a, a you, you mentioned you know, going to maybe the second level, but all those different vendors, all those points you mentioned, you know, from Turkey to Italy, Italy, Germany, Germany to, to the UK, all of those vendors, all of those um, uh, service providers, whatever they're doing, you have to do the same kind of investigation as you're doing with the person who made, you know, those uh, garments, you know, Turkey, yeah. right? You, you, absolutely. you have to use the same level of rigor, correct?
2: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, you know, we'll go and visit sites. We'll interview service providers. Uh, we'll do, um, sort of spot checks we 'll observe them the way that they operate we 'll produce a complete analysis of that service provider and and give it to uh, give it to our clients as part of the service we provide now you know many companies will do that themselves in house it's mm-hmm. it 's not a complex process but but a common problem that, that we often identify is it 's a question of resources and time and, mm-hmm. and sort of human resources and, and time and Quite often, either the supply chain or the business continuity or the risk management department within an organization is a handful of people, yet they'll have a global network. And so it's really, really difficult to stay on top of that supply chain. You can't, you, it's impossible with five people to continually review, assess and report on a global distribution network of a a number of different products if you've only got two or three people working in your department
1: now let's say you find uh, something wrong let's say between uh, using the same example between Italy and Germany you know there's an issue with uh, the, the person or the people the company that moves the goods from one to the other do you approach them or do you go to those people in Turkey and say hey we don't like the supply chain you have in, uh, you know, in place. We want you to change something. You know, how do you address that?
2: No, we'll, we'll go back to our client. It's essentially what we're doing is we're empowering our clients to make effective decisions. And, and so their strategic um, sort of plan is something that we might be able to comment and advise them on, but we certainly don't make decisions or start disrupting the, the management processes or the strategic plan that they have in place, so yeah, we would go back to our client We'd, you know we always give feedback when we're at when we're at the site, yeah, this is an area of concern for me, this is an area of of concern for for the client um you know this is a vulnerability you're aware of that, and we engage at, at that level, but we report back and then we advise and we help um organizations make effective decisions and you know the Corporate drivers, unfortunately, don't sort of originate in in risk management. It's, it's you know, generally it's about commerce. If it's not about commerce, mm-hmm. then it's about, you know, corporate social responsibilities. So it, it, it's not for us to advise them necessarily on, on what changes they should make, but we certainly empower them to make effective decisions and we help them during that decision process.
1: So they, they can turn around and say, um go to their client you know the one creating the the, uh, the the garments and say we need a fix we need an alternate or whatever the case may be right the, yeah you you give them the information and then they make the the uh, determinations and decisions afterwards
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Mm, you know, a a typical process will be, let's have a look at your your sort of legal um, contracts that you have in place with this service service provider. What are they obliged to provide for you?
0: And Mm -hmm.
2: how are they performing in relation to that? Now, you know, some contracts might not stipulate how they transit from point A to point B. And so, therefore, they might not be breaking any rules. So we'd advise the client, you know, Mm -hmm. these are vulnerabilities that you have in your sort of contract process um so they can tighten up from that perspective or alternatively if if the the contract for example is watertight and the service provider isn't complying with it then we provide them with the evidence um to go back and have those discussions now you know it's unless there's a, a massive, massive deviation. And bearing in mind that most organizations go through a process of due diligence before they actually assign a, a service provider in the first place.
1: Right, right. So
2: there's a certain level of capability that is that is there and we accept is there. But in light of those deviations and, and the risk exposure um, – you know, we would guide them on how they could possibly mitigate those risks. And generally, if you can fix a problem, I mean, ideally, you identify it beforehand and you take a proactive approach and you um, mitigate the risk before they're actually exposed to, to your process anyway. But if we can help them mitigate those risks in a timely and cost-effective manner, then we'll help mitigate those risks. If, if it's simply not possible to mitigate those risks, the service provider doesn't have the capability um, then we will advise the client of that and, and, and they take the decision and we help them implement whatever changes are, are, are needed within the supply chain.
1: And I was going to ask you about that upfront stuff, you know, when, when you're determining who you're going to do business with, that you're already doing some level of due diligence. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. On that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. Today, we are talking about supply chain resiliency with Paul Raw, and we'll be right back.
2: Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry
0: App World, or Android Market. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, Small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to preparing for the unexpected.
1: Welcome back. We are talking with Paul Raw and Supply Chain Resiliency. Paul, you mentioned the the upfront processes, you know, when you're kind of determining who you're going to work with, you know, as, as a partner or a vendor or something like that. Uh, how do you go about doing that? What kind of things do you look at? You know, can you give us some examples?
2: Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so I'll, give you, I'll start off by giving you an example. So we were asked by a pharmaceutical organization to have a look at the, the different um, risks throughout the supply chain um, as they were looking to change from air freight to land-based freight between Europe and China. Um, for high-value pharmaceutical goods, and um, with that came a number of of different um, service requirements. So they need to have a controlled environment, um, and they needed to um, deliver goods in a set in a set timeline as well, because there's. Uh, uh, an expiry date for the for the products they were moving, um, and so they came to us to, to ask for a review and insight into the different risk dynamics that they would be exposed to throughout that process. So we've got a number of different tools that we use at, at, at BSI. We um, we've got a screen tool which gives um, global risk profiles for different supply uh, chains and routes throughout throughout the world. And so we started with a you know tabletop exercise. If you're going to go um, land based uh, freight. From Europe to uh, to China, um, it's going to be rail. Um, these are the rail routes, um, and these are the different countries that you transit, These are the requirements, service requirements. So, for example, halfway through the route, as you you enter into sort of Poland, there's a change of gauge on the rail network. So um, your freight needs to be transit uh, transferred onto a new gauge. Um, that will have a delay. How do you manage your goods? How do you secure them? Um, in that process, what are your sort of business continuity? We spoke earlier on about how, how do we manage the impact? Well, one of the key areas, as I said, was, was to do it proactively. And part of that risk process is to look at the different dynamics. So in that case, moving to a land-based transport, we identified a number of risks. So, so you're transiting through different countries. There are uh, customs regulation, border requirements that you have to satisfy. What happens if you have a customs check or a customs hold at any particular border? Let's say, for example, on the border with Russia or Mongolia, if we wanted to take it to, to the more remote, remote locations, bearing in mind that you've got a temperature controlled uh, an environmentally sealed container, um, which has a generator on it, which requires fuel to make sure that the environment is maintained. What do you do and what are your capabilities and what are your resources if your container was to be lifted off the rail network, put into a customs hold so they could do a check? But mm-hmm. How much fuel have you got? Um, what happens if your reefer breaks down and the environment isn't maintained? What resources do you have to respond to that? Um And so by looking at those different dynamics and really doing a detailed analysis of the risk exposure, we can start to develop mitigation plans. Okay, so if we're going to go to rolling stock um, for Mongolia, let's identify a number of different service providers who might be able to help us mitigate the risk of A, B or C. Or how quickly can we mobilize one of our own team of engineers to go and fix a refrigeration unit? What resources do they need? Can we package that into a, a small package that can be mobilised and dispatched quickly um, to reach remote areas of the world in order to, to maintain the environment and the conditions needed for, for our particular goods? And, and bearing in mind, you know, some of these container loads can be worth hundreds of thousands, if not, in excess of a million sort of dollars per container load. So it really justifies the mobilization of a small team of engineers or, or the agreements and, and service agreements in place for service providers, you know, along that supply route. So that's, a, that's a, a, an example of a proactive approach to, to identifying and, and managing risks throughout the supply chain.
1: And all that is before you you're actually um, uh, working with somebody on the far end yeah uh, identifying that, all that all the way along right
2: absolutely that's and that was a key key part of the decision process of do we move to land based distribution or do we maintain the air freight um, and so the 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 analysis and the feedback and, and the contribution we made to that process was again to make uh, to give them the opportunity to make fully informed decisions at the point of that strategic design rather than when you're, it's I don't know, six or 12 months into the process and you find actually we've lost a container worth of goods because we didn't have a risk mitigation plan in place for, you know, a, a reefer being lifted at the border of Mongolia or being held there for three weeks.
1: Wow. Now you've kind of touched on some of these, but, uh, you talked about the life cycle uh, in, in your presentation. Can you give us a, an overview of what you mean by supply chain management life cycle?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, traditionally, I would look at it from a pre-event, during event, and a post-event process. And, you know, how do we manage that? And so the typical cycle that we that we follow would be sort of prevention, mitigation, um, preparation, response, and recovery. And so, if I break those down, so the prevention is is about how do we identify risks and threats to our supply chain in a proactive manner. And and that example that we just talked about might be a, a, a really good uh, demonstration of that process. We're going to move to to land-based um, transportation. Uh, let's have a look at the, the risk dynamics. How can we mitigate those risk dynamics? Um, and how can we hopefully prevent our supply chain from being exposed to those dynamics? And so, you know, part of that might have been rerouting. Okay, we don't have resources in Mongolia. Are there a different you know, routes that we could take? Um, and looking at that in a proactive way before the event actually occurs. If we, if we do it effectively... Um, and we have the flexibility to do it, there's an opportunity to prevent the impact of it. And that's by completely uh, avoiding that risk exposure. So the next part of the process, if we can't prevent something from happening, how do we mitigate those risks? And it's by identifying those risks um, effectively and developing mitigation measures and implementing those measures effectively and timely Um, so that they mitigate the risks as much as we possibly can. So we can't avoid the risk. There is a risk exposure. How do we minimize that risk exposure? And then if we go on to the next part, which is the, the preparation, we've been through the first two cycles. We've avoided what we can. We've mitigated and lowered the risk as much as we possibly can. There is a residual risk that remains. How do we prepare for that? So we accept that there is a risk. How do we prepare for it? And, you know, this is by developing the the sort of response plans um, and the actions that will happen should that risk um, materialise. And so, again, these three steps are all pre-event. So if we go through those um, as as diligently as we can um, and implement those measures as effectively as we can, then we reduce the risk essentially as much as we possibly can. But, you know, the world is a changing dynamic and we accept that there are risks. So we don't just simply stop at that point there. We think about should that risk materialize? What is our response capability? Um, And this is a a, a sort of an element that we talk about a a lot when we talk about, for example, um, security risk management. A lot of people say, yeah, okay, we've secured our facility. We've got CCTV." Well, fantastic. CCTV allows you to watch people doing whatever they're doing. Um, if that's breaking <laughs> into wrong things. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, you know, we can sit and review how they broke into our facility, um, you know, forevermore. But it doesn't change the fact that they actually broke into yeah. the facility. So while different dynamics and different capabilities certainly have value to add, the response capability in that case would be how are you going to respond when you see someone breaking into your facility? So that's, you know, do we have security guards? Do we have police services on on call? Or, you know, what's the response capability? Do we have a, a an in-house capability? Again, do we outsource it or what have you? And so that response planning is about identifying the risk, putting a process in place, developing those SOPs, and equally importantly, giving those assets that we are going to call upon to respond, the ability to make effective, timely decisions and to implement the actions that they need to do. That comes around by training, by effective communication and the development of SOPs and plans. And so quite often when I talk about the development of plans and and, uh, sort of mitigation measures, it's important to have a results-based approach. So we could plan on every scenario and keep developing strategies, policies, procedures, and put them in big folders and no one will ever read them. One of the most powerful ways to implement a response capability is to give people the skills that they need, i.e. train them effectively, and give them insight and understanding of their roles and responsibilities, their level of empowerment, what decisions can they make, on what decisions do they have to refer up the chain. Um, And also to give them a detailed understanding of what the desired end state is. Generally, we employ people through an employment and and review and selection process. And we we employ them because of qualities that they bring to the table. Mm -hmm. So empower the workforce to use their own qualities that they have in abundance to make effective decisions for the well and good of the organization which are in line with the bigger picture corporate strategic strategic objective and so one of the massive um, elements of the response capability is empowering people to implement the actions that they need to implement we and then the, the, the
1: and def- half, we have a minute and a half left
2: okay you- i was going to say the final element is the recovery <laughs> element and the recovery element is you know, something that's really relevant at the moment, as we you know look at the COVID situation. But at, th- at that point, I'll, I'll stop.
1: <laughs> you sure? <laughs> Any closing comment? Take thirty seconds. Yeah, I, I mean,
2: you know, it's a it's a tremendously detailed subject area, um, and in our experience, a lot of leaders don't fully understand the dynamic. Um, mm-hmm. So, my. Sort of parting guidance and advice which would be really understand the supply chain, really understand the assets and capabilities that you have in place, communicate your strategic um, objectives and empower people to fulfill the roles that you've employed them to fulfill. That's through, you know, give them a detailed job description, inform them, give them communication tools, tools and the resources. Um, and that would be my, my sort of few final thoughts.
1: And on that, we've come to the end of our show. Paul, thanks very much. You gave a lot of uh, different perspectives on supply chain, which is great. I think uh, a lot of people, you know, they better be paying attention. At least I hope they are. You know, uh, you have a lot of uh, good information. So thank you very much for sharing your time and expertise. I really appreciate it.
2: No, it's a, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on.
1: And to everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody.
0: Thank you for joining us for preparing for the unexpected please tune in for another edition featuring your host alex bullock next thursday at 10 a.m pacific time and 1 p.m eastern time on the voice america business channel we'll see you here next week